three, two, one. What's up, Biden folks? So welcome back, guys. Make sure you like, share, comment, subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. And then um, make sure you check out the website, eigenbros.com, eigenbros on Instagram, eigenbros on Twitter, eigenbros2 on TikTok, and patrons. Thank you guys so much. We greatly appreciate all your help. You know, it, it definitely helps me and Juan when you guys contribute and support the channel. And if you guys want to support the channel, just check out patreon.com slash eigenbros. You know, we do a 30-minute audio podcast there every week. And then we also have the uh, Discord channel, um, which, you know, we post things there every now and then. So, guys, check that out. And today, Juan, we are going to be talking about what? Fractional Quantum Hall Effect. Yeah. Slash, well, Quantum Hall Effect. Yeah, too. yeah, yeah. 80% and then turn it into the fractional version. <laughs> right, but, right, right. Uh, but yeah, Fractional Quantum Hall Effect. What is it? It's, uh, well, it got the 1998 Nobel Prize in mm. physics. Was it 98? Yeah, it was 98. You sure? I think it was, I thought it was ni- uh, 85. Well, I, the lecture, the Nobel Laureate lecture that I saw mm. was uh, was given in 98. So Yeah, I think uh, it was um, von, Klit- von Klitzing, some German guy. Sturmer, I think that's German as well. And uh, Tsui, I think he's Chinese-American or something. Mm-hmm. And those were the three guys that won the um, Nobel Prize, I believe, in 85. Yes. Apparently was, during... It was 98. Yeah. Oh, 98? No, what is it? 98? 98? Yeah. Okay, my bad then. No, you're good. Maybe I was thinking of the quantum hall effect? Maybe so. Okay, I don't know. <laughs> well, listen to one. I don't know. <laughs> I'm going off of Wikipedia. Okay. So, but yeah, I mean, yeah, nailed it. Laughlin. Sh- oh, Laughlin. Stormer. Stormer? Oh, Laughlin Sturmer. Yeah. And Sweet? Terrence is a language guy, so. Excellent language guy. Laughlin, Sturmer, and Sweet. So I, I said not Laughlin. I said um, um, von Klitzing. Oh, so he must have been the quantum hall effect. Gotcha. Yeah. My bad. No, but uh, but we will be before we get to the fractional version. You have to talk about the quantum hall effect, and even then, you kind of have to have some concept of what the hell the hall effect is. Yeah. Too. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's pretty much like three levels, right? Yeah. So there's the classical hall effect which is kind of the baby version that yeah. is really super nice and elegant though if you don't know about it mm-hmm. we'll explain it and then there's the quantum hall effect which is the upgraded version and then there's the fractional quantum hall effect which is the uh, giga chad uh, <laughs> quantum hall version yeah it really is it's like the uh yeah it's it's the cool version it's the one that Everybody. It's the sexy new one. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> and it's kind of, and there's even more Hall effects, you know. Um, I don't know if you had to deal with these one, but you there's like spin Hall effect mm-hmm. and like inverse Hall effect and even inverse spin Hall effect. But and those then, are all kind of like. And then anomalous Hall effect, something I studied, which was wild, but anyway. Well, I know some people call the fractional Hall effect anomalous Hall effect. Is that the same or no? No, no it shouldn't be. Because you know physicists always like to also reuse names sometimes, and then they yeah. have overlap of different things with the same name, which can, is annoying. It can get you in trouble. Yeah. Yeah, I think early on in the days, they... Well, because they, when they don't... In physics, when you don't have the language to describe something, they call it anomalous. You're right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so if there's two anomalous things that happen to do with the same thing, then... Yeah, unfortunately, uh, yeah. that it does happen. We saw some anomalous signal in so-and-so, and it's like... Um, that's already a reserved word. <laughs> <Right>. for, yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah, you they 
early on in these papers, you'll see sometimes they'll categorize it as like some anomalous thing mm. because they don't they don't have the language to describe it yet. But right. Um, but yeah, in later papers, they do start having a better conception. And I think it wasn't until the 90s that the fractional quantum Hall effect was formally theorized. I think you sent me a paper on it, too. Yeah, and the um, fractional quantum Hall effect, mm-hmm. I think, is probably, um, maybe it was Jane's paper. Who Whose paper is it? I forget this who, is, who it is. Uh, yeah, Jane. Yeah. Jane, yeah. That's mm-hmm. supposed to be one of the leading papers, I believe, that had. Yeah, this a good amount of citations on it, so that's why I chose it. And this is the theory of fractional quantum Hall effect, and that was um, released in 1990. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that's kind of stirred a bunch of people to talk about it. But um, in summary, should should we should we begin with quantum Hall effect? I mean, uh, Hall effect. Yeah, let's begin with the regular qua- uh, Hall effect. Yeah, I keep saying it too. <laughs> Yeah, so the quantum hall. I mean, oh Christ. <laughs> I've been reading quantum hall so much that I can only think of quantum hall now. Yeah, let's take a shot. Take right. a, no, listeners, take a shot every time we say quantum hall effect when we're saying hall effect. Oh, they might not make it. <laughs> um, hall effect. Uh, yeah, hall effect was discovered by by uh, Robert Hall. Is it Robert Hall? I guessed. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be saying random names for. <laughs> Please. Okay. 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 <laughs> I'm trolling. Something Hall. I forget. Um, no, he was like a British physicist. Okay. Um, <clears throat> it's just really, really simple. Um, uh, how would you say? Just experiment. And his name was Edwin Hall, by the way. That's what I thought. Okay. <laughs> but I kept thinking, is it Ed, is it Edwin Hubble or Edwin Hall? I no, couldn't remember. Edwin Hall. And he discovered it in 1879. Uh, And real, like, typically you'll see it's basically a current flowing through a material. Um, But there are different arrangements you can have in an experiment. The the most simple one I picture is having something like um, you send a current through a material, Mm -hmm. something like kind of rectangular. Yeah, so I like to think of it as like a. Um, it's if you imagine, imagine this. Imagine like a a a a, a um, what do you call it? A rectangular solid mm-hmm. in the shape of a cell phone, mm-hmm. a standard cell phone. Except it's just much smaller on the on the order of like millimeters, micrometers. Um, and then you have this rectangular solid that has two electrodes on the long on the longitudinal part of the, of the solid. It's like conductive wires, right? Yeah. So there's like a long end of the solid, you know. The, of course, the solid is three dimensions, but you can think of it as two because one of the sides, let's imagine the 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 um, the width, the thickness of the rectangle is thin. Mm-hmm. So you really just have two dimensions, let's say. So the long end of that rectangle has two electrodes. And then you have the width of it also has some, well, well, not not yet, but those two electrodes on the long end actually have a current that runs through it. Mm-hmm. So basically, you have current that's running down the longitudinal part of that rectangle. Now, the thing the thing about the Hall effect is that's kind of interesting is once you have a magnetic field applied perpendicularly to that rectangle, so let's imagine you're applying it to that surface. What happens is you actually get those electrons moving in that um, rectangle from the current to actually start accumulating on the edges, on the edges of that rectangular. They're being pushed to the side. Yeah, yeah of that rectangle. 
So what that does is you actually wind up creating a voltage that's transverse to that longitudinal um, uh, uh, axis current, exactly. So you have what they call a Hall voltage or a transverse voltage that gets generated. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, you have your standard longitudinal voltage that's just due to whatever your electrode contacts have hooked up to it. Producing, yeah. Um, But you get this cool new Hall voltage where it actually means that your Hall voltage is a function of the strength of the magnetic field. So you can actually measure the strength of magnetic fields from that. Like, this is something that I used to mess with in undergraduate. I mean, this was probably one of the first instances of when I started getting into condensed matter physics. You know, the Hall effect was like one of these things where I'm like, oh, like, you could use condensed matter physics to make these, like, almost like these new kind of object, these new kind of engineering um, feats. And that started really getting me into, um, you know, condensed matter. That's probably one of the first instances I remember because I remember messing with those uh, magnet those magnetometers, those um, Hall magnetometers, mm-hmm. where you could actually measure the magnetic field of something just by holding it up to you know whatever the magnet is, right. and then it would give you some kind of voltage value that would tell you what what it what the magnetic field strength is. Yeah, yeah, and I think well in in electronics, especially for device manufacturing, mm-hmm. this is like done on a smaller scale usually, mm-hmm. but you measure you can also measure the or it's a way to characterize what kind of electrons you have in your material too. Like they're called charge carriers. Like your electrons can be like P doped and your material can be P doped or, or N doped or whatever. Okay. Um, And it kind of tells you how the electrons behave in your material um, depending on, yeah, your type of material. So they're, they're, the way this this uh, experimental method has evolved mm-hmm. for its utility has been, I think it's been like almost over, what's the word I'm looking for? It's like over Overwhelmed? It's overachieved its like initial kind of conception. conception. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's really lived up to, like the whole effect is just like, everywhere in condensed matter physicists. Yeah. It's so it's like one of these things that you have to know as a condensed matter physicist for sure. Yeah, it's, it's so useful and it's so applicable to everything and it's just like it just it's one of those things that just keeps on giving. Yeah, you know? it's a it's a bread and butter kind of uh measurement. Yeah. For sure. Like if you don't know about the whole effect, definitely uh and you're interested in condensed matter especially, you know, definitely check it out um and understand it pretty well because I mean it's it's very useful. And in a, a quick way, by the way, the actual physics of it that's underpinning is something that could be summarized with the uh, pretty much the Lorentz force. Yeah, it's like all captured in that. Um, yeah, really, all you need is the Lorentz force, and that's something you learn in what physics one, maybe I physics so. two, electro the f- introduction to electricity and magnetism. Yeah, so you can get a full understanding pretty much of the classical Hall effect just with the Lorentz force. Yeah. So it's pretty much fully derived from that. In yeah. the equilibrium condition, that's when you get, like Terrence is saying, it shows that where your electrons are going to be pushed up against. And this is also why vector calculus was really useful in this mm-hmm. because it shows you which direction, right? Which right, direction right. The, the electrons will accumulate. Right, right. Depending on the, the field. Yeah. Because yeah. curl. Um, and for those of you just listening, it's it's the Lorentz force is equal to the charge. You hear the charge of the electron mm-hmm. 
um, and it's being distributed to the electric field mm -hmm. uh, vector and then plus the velocity of the charge carriers because Q and mm -hmm. V can be interpreted as um, is it current density or current? Q and V? Q and V. Oh. You can rewrite it in a way that can be written as current. Yeah, right? probably. Yeah, you yeah. can you can write it as current density. You can yeah. well there's I don't certain know. ways to represent it, but Q and yeah. V can kind of be thought of like as the way the current moves. And then you you cross yeah. that vector. It's the cross product of that vector with the field that you apply. The magnetic field, yeah. yeah. And that's kind of a good picture if you if you think about the math. Yeah, yeah. So that's the classical effect. Um, we won't spend too much time more on that because, you know, that's kind of, you know, you, you can research that one more on your own. But this, you know, with this one, we want to specifically get to the fractional quantum Hall effect. So before we get to the fractional quantum Hall effect, though, we want to get to the quantum Hall effect. Quantum so yeah. what did you think first thoughts about the quantum Hall effect one? Very, uh, I mean, if, uh, what else? What is there to say? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, anything with quantum is just like I don't know. I always have like this side eye thing because I'm like, yeah. I mean, it's you quantize the Hall effect. I mean, I would argue that the Hall effect is already quantized, but uh, no, because language, it only takes classical physics to describe, right? It, it does, but but you still have. Well, I'm being a well actually person right now because <laughs> okay. I'm like I'm like you still have fundamental units, uh, but I could I could mm, be misinterpreted. But quantized really means that there's some kind of discretized um, uh, aspect to the theory, and it and it follows the rules of quantum mechanics. The Lorentz force equation is a classical equation, so at yeah. no point do you need quantum mechanics to describe that system, and there's nothing discretized about it. With the regular classical uh, Hall effect, I guess I guess I see what you mean. I mean, there there is some resolution that you can achieve, higher resolution that you can achieve beyond like measuring just the traditional or classical Hall effect. I'm saying it can be expanded to to give you more resolution. But okay, so maybe maybe the question reversed to you. What what did you think about the quantum Hall effect? That was pretty cool, man. I learned a lot of interesting stuff from it. It's one of these topics that I wanted to research for the longest time, but mm -hmm. you know. You just can't justify learning new shit when you're in graduate school, right? No, yeah. <laughs> or even undergraduate you a have lot to of times. Yeah, you have to focus on your own specialty, I guess. Yeah, so you can't really dig deep a lot of times into things that you might be interested in doing. And usually you don't even want to because you're sick of just looking at physics because you're doing it so much. Yeah. But, um, yeah, quantum Hall effect is one of these really interesting phenomenons that I don't think you could really predict, you know, intuitively. It's one of these things that, like most of quantum mechanics – you just wouldn't expect until you actually, you know, did the measurement and, you know, applied the physics, what not, what not the, the theory behind it. Mm -hmm. And it just kind of falls out for the math and you just have to say, okay, well, all right. <laughs> yeah. But basically what the, the real big part of quantum Hall effect is, and you can add this image in, in the podcast one, is the um, resistivity measurements versus the uh, magnetic field. So there's this particular graph that you guys will see that uh, shows basically the, the integer quantum Hall effect is another name for it, where you have these filling factors is what they call it, and you actually get these quantized plateaus at these specific, at these integer values um, as you tune 
your magnetic field. So you actually can tune that um, resistivity versus high fields. So the classical Hall effect only exists in regimes that are like, let's say, one Tesla or below. And a Tesla is just a unit of magnetic field. So a one Tesla field, you can get this nice little linear plot of the resistivity. So it looks like, oh, okay. If you were maybe a naive guess would be just, oh, this continues linearly on forever, which would be makes sense classically. But, yeah. of course, this is where quantum mechanics steps in and says, uh-uh, not so fast. And you actually get these weird plateaus. It looks like a staircase. It's like a... If you want to, if you want to say a fancy version of how to call it, it's like a monotonically increasing function mm-hmm. with these plateaus at these integer values. So then the question is, what's actually happening here? And um, it's pretty interesting. So, um, yeah. So with the quantum Hall effect, you actually can write a um, Hamiltonian for it. So what you do, of course, you might have the th- the first thought that you're going to have to include the magnetic field somehow, and you'd be correct. Mm-hmm. So what they normally do is they usually use the Landau gauge, which is B equals del cross A. For those of you who've gotten to electri- electricity and magnetism, it's actually in, in Griffiths in the um, uh, gauge transformation sections. They actually mm-hmm. have the Landau gauge, yeah. um, and that's the one that will get you the uh, the interest, the um, the new form of the uh, electric field and, and the uh, magnetic field is is what you um, would use to uh, to get that del cross a. But um, yeah, what happens is when you create that Hamiltonian, you actually get basically solutions for like a harmonic oscillator. It looks pretty much identical with just different constants. So your solutions for the Schrodinger equation actually come out to be these Hermite polynomials, and then you can graph those. And you see that they have these discretized energies. Um, so you get, you can, I mean, if you know the harmonic oscillator from quantum mechanics, then you'll, you'll pretty much understand what's happening here with the quantum Hall um, effect as well. Because it's the same mathematics, basically, just slightly different. And basically what happens is these filling factors you get are these integer multiples of E squared over H which is E squared being the charge of the electron and then H being the Planck's constant. Mm-hmm. So it's just really interesting how that falls out from this. And that's what you get when you actually solve for the energy eigenvalues. Um, and that has to do just with um, putting these, uh, or assuming this model to be this kind of two-dimensional electron gas. So it basically follows the Druda model. So you remember, I don't know if you remember, we used to call it the Drude model back in the mm-hmm. day one, if you remember, yeah, yeah, yeah. from condensed matter class. But the Drude model is basically like, um, we had a nice little illustration in one of our podcasts one at one point. I think it was on superconductivity. Yeah. Um, well, it's related to the Salvatore Pice alien <laughs> podcast, I believe. But mm-hmm. we had a video where there were a bunch of punching bags, basically. They were all aligned with these equally spaced um, distances. And basically, you can think of those, this is like setting up the Drude model. So those punching bags would be the ions, or these giant positive ions, let's say. They're like what basically makes up the crystal lattice. And then you have electrons that can just flow freely through those punching bags, or those ions. And that's basically the Drude model. So it's basically these like billiard ball-like electrons that are knocking back and forth on these giant immovable ions. And they kind of have this drift 
current or this drift velocity as you have a current applied onto them. Mm-hmm. And they're non-interacting, so it makes it really solvable. And it basically, the solutions will come out to be the energy eigenvalues similar to um, the quantum harmonic oscillator yeah, as well yeah. as the wave function for the quantum harmonic oscillator. So it's basically, once again, the harmonic oscillator strikes again. <laughs> Classic. So, yeah. <laughs> So, um, so yeah, yeah it's you, like a Scooby-Doo meme. It's like it was the quantum os- quantum. No, it was the harmonic oscillator <laughs> all along. All along, yeah. You just take the mask off. But it literally, that'd be the most boring Scooby-Doo because literally every episode would just be the harmonic oh, oscillator. <laughs> How does he keep getting away with this? <laughs> yeah, there's different ways. Yeah, it just looks different forms. Different forms. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but it's interesting. So. To me, I was wondering, I was like, why does this system even need to be quantized like this? Mm-hmm. And apparently what happens is, um, or actually, let me think. So, uh, Wait, what did you say? Why does this system need to be quantized? Why does it need to be quantized? But shit, that because... might be a bad question because I don't really know the answer. <laughs> because, because <laughs> like, from my understanding, you you know, you reach these Gins- Ginsburg, they're called the Ginsburg-Landau um, these plateaus, right? Yeah. And each each time you have a plateau, your Well, I know them as a Landau levels. I don't know if you're talking about specifically the fractional version. No, let's stick well, let's stick to the language of uh well, cause, the quantum Hall effect levels are just called Landau levels. Okay, Landau levels. Yeah, but yeah. but the, it follows the Ginsburg Landau theory of this. And that's for quantum hall, not fractional. This should be quantum hall, yeah. Okay, okay. And uh, so so when you apply a field, especially to higher fields, you get this uh, sort of plateauing, but it's quantized in the sense that as you approach a field linearly or something, right, you you get these plateaus and all of a sudden you get another jump. You get another quantization. Right. So at each point, in some ways, you're mapping the Fermi level of your system or you're, ma- you're mapping what your how would you say this is I, i'm trying not to use reserved words mm-hmm. because they they're, it's important to make yeah, this trying to use some more intuitive words yeah it's a it gives you the map of your fermi surface like essentially mm. what your material your material looks like energetically so it, it's a really fermi good surface technique. is a little bit more of a complex thing yeah it's kind of a condensed matter guys uh, word yeah 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 <laughs> and it's kind of loaded with a lot of insight mm-hmm. yeah that's um, but this is why and and i say this because i've i didn't do maybe this too in my, much I didn't do this, no i didn't do this in my research group personally but uh-huh. uh, i worked in a research group that did this firsthand mm-hmm. and uh so i was always adjacent to it mm-hmm. and i remember asking this particular question because they would look at the the quantum hall effect and ah. and so they would look at these oscillations and stuff and i'd be like what does that mean and they're mm. like well look go to wikipedia i'm like this does wikipedia doesn't explain <laughs> anything but thank you wikipedia actually is okay though it is okay but <laughs> but yeah I, I asked like you know what does this mean and and so yeah i would see these plateaus and then i would see the rising again but mm. they're like well we do this so we can map the fermi surface of the material and like you were saying the fermi surface tells you a lot yeah, but we got to remember what the Fermi surface is because I barely remember what the Fermi surface is. Eh, I know from conduction bands, mm-hmm. there's the Fermi level yes. where if you have a conduction band and a valence band, right. let's say, between it is the Fermi level, right? Yeah. In the middle. 
It can't. Yeah, yeah. For for semiconductors, yeah. Okay, so what does it mean though? I forget the surface. Exactly. Oh, it it gives you the idea. It. I think the more intuitive version can be seen. Okay, because the Fermi level, technically speaking, is defined at like zero Kelvin. But the thing is, we know uh, in reality it's not like that. And right. In reality, in electrical engineering and stuff, it's seen as the chemical potential. So, mm -hmm. and that, that has a more intuitive um, aspect to it. So, with the chemical potential, it tells you essentially where the sum, the sum energy in electron volts is for your system. So, like if you're trying to build a device or something, and you're trying to gate this thing, uh -huh. you want you want to try to meet the chemical potential so that you have you have uh, ohmic response. So if you remember, I'm sure you had to do this in your research group, right? Where you had to put contacts down and like hope that you would get an ohmic response, right? Well, I had to. Do, I would do four terminal measurements right. to try to measure. Um, you did, what did IV I measure? Curves, right? IV curves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think I measured resistivity at some point, though. Right. Well, you you would extract the resistivities from the IV curves, but I'm saying yeah, like you're right. If it was ohmic, that that means you're you don't have you don't have any like barriers or in a sense like your system has no like your electrons can traverse freely there's no okay. insulating okay. behavior so if they don't but match that's up, for superconducting systems or what se semiconducting maybe? no because you said there's no resistance no meaning that like you don't have any barriers in some sense like if in an insulating material you wouldn't mm -hmm. get an ohmic response right mm -hmm. um, unless you pump the voltage and then you destroy the insulating behavior and then you just kind of cross it over but Mm. But my point is that the chemical potential, if you line those up, you get a nice ohmic response. And so it tells mm. you the energy level of the system. I don't know what ohmic response means still. Uh, v equals I. Like your slope is, is linear. Oh, sense? your slope is linear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you're plotting um, v, uh, v over yeah. I or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But, but if okay. It, it wouldn't be ohmic if there was some kind of blockade, like some kind of potential, right, that was kind of stopping your your electrons from like really having this linear response okay sure there's just you know some nonlinear I mean? behavior exactly, okay yeah, okay yeah. i'm saying if the chemical potentials don't I line up between your materials mm -hmm. you will not get that ohmic response mm. so their chemical potentials go back to like fermi level stuff and but th let's this think is of a quick more simply course. can we because i remember a chemical potential i'm seeing in my brain the um, Fermi Dirac distribution. Mm -hmm. So if you remember from the Fermi Dirac distribution, we got this line, yes. basically goes all the way across, and then there's this immediate drop off. Yeah. And then at, the, at that immediate drop off, that's basically where the chemical potential exists. Oof! But I'm I can't not, I remember. Can't see the picture anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I lost yeah. it. I can see it in my mind, but I don't remember what it was for. So it has yeah. to do with statistical mechanics. Yes. Um. Damn, this is uh okay. This is a little okay, bit we're deviation. We're reaching, path, we're but. reaching in the, we're reaching in our bag here. That was like yeah, for me it was quantum years ago, and I haven't yeah. even looked at this for the podcast. I so reviewed I'm, either. I'm going in uh, unprepared <laughs> right now. Yeah, blind. <laughs> so the Fermi Dirac distribution is there's a distribution function, right? And I forget what it's what the axes are. Um, shoot, man. Maybe KT or temperature or something. Damn, I wish I remembered. Because there's, it's like it looks like a box basically. Like it's flat, 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 flat with some value at the top. I guess maybe it's an energy versus something, and then I think maybe energy versus temperature or KT or something. I don't remember. Mm -hmm. 
but it's flat, 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 and then there's an immediate drop-off, like a sharp drop-off, and then at that drop-off is the chemical potential. Mm-hmm. So it's some kind of transition, I believe, in energy. So the energy goes from high to a, to zero energy or something. This could be really wrong. So please, guys, don't even <laughs> verify this. take this until we verify this makes sense. Are you looking it up right now, Juan? Yeah, I am. If you just look up Fermi Direct Distribution, you can see probably a picture of it on Google Images, I would imagine. So, yeah, I think that's the theory for sure. But um, here's, here's how I'm going to give you the Wikipedia thing. Yeah. Electrons and solids have a chemical potential. Um, it's the change in... It's the change in free energy when electrons are added or removed from the system. In case of electrons, the chemical potential is usually expressed in energy per particle, blah, blah, blah. Oh, and is the Fermi level how many states are filled? Yeah. Oh, that's simple. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> goddammit. <And then, laughs> but, but anyway, the chemical potential plays an especially important role in solid state physics. It's closely related to the concept of work function, Fermi energy, and the Fermi level. Um, so, yeah, it's your number of electron states. And then the Fermi surface is like... It, the level is one dimensional, but the surface is literally a map of right. a three D map. So of it's just the three D map of the electrons that are the states that are occupied by your electrons exactly, or whatever yeah. si- your system are. Yeah. In this case, since it's a system of fermions, it's going to be you know they're going to have the Pauli exclusion principle at play, which is like yeah. they're going to be a certain number of electrons occupying each energy level. Exactly. Yeah. Anyway. So anyway, quick detour <laughs> for that. But <laughs> But yeah, yeah, it, it Might is. Have to cut that out. We'll see. Nah, nah, we'll we'll keep it in. But I'll, I'll definitely because I had trim it up. We had one listener say like, "No, you guys should just leave the stuff where you guys are working through things." That's true. People have people do seem to tend to like our our um solving through things, but we'll see. We'll, I mean, <laughs> so as long as it's not too too dumb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we still need to have some credibility, folks. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's kind of the tough part when you're thinking on the fly, but mm-hmm. um. But yeah, the, it, yeah. So, so that that's the good picture of Fermi surfaces. So yeah. this is why we even bother with, with this technique. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's from my experimental, uh, <laughs> well, not from personally my direct experience, but from watching other people so wait, collect this kind of. What data. does Fermi level have to do with the quantum Hall effect again? So the Fermi, well, you map the idea is that you map the Fermi surface using looking at the way the Landau levels shift. Ah, so those yeah. filling factors have some relation with the Fermi surface yeah, yeah. that you can map easier by understanding. Yeah. Them. Okay, and the, interesting. The, yeah, it was very interesting because uh, the postdoc in my group would use this, would collect the data and then create literally a Fermi surface map. And, mm. and I was in the lab meetings. I'm like, oh, this is cool stuff. Like, okay, yeah. Because th- they, would, they would take that data... And do some, I, I don't know, it wasn't my project, folks, I'm sorry mm. to say, so I can't really give you <laughs> details, but but they would then extract really useful information about the the material, the compound, and how it how it behaves energetically. Right. And uh, really gives you useful uh, information on on the physics. Yeah. On what it, what it, what it behaves like. Yeah, but... Um Anyway, continuing so on, there was actually um, one comment that I wanted to make about the quantum Hall effect that I found pretty interesting was there's this the reason that or the reason yeah the reasoning behind why quantum Hall effect even arises and why it doesn't continue as some linear plot mm-hmm. is actually due to the symmetry breaking or disorder of the system. So Explain. there's this weird 
I can't explain too in detail, but sure. I can tell you that the classical Hall effect is how th- people thought the system should have progressed. But then they actually realized that that has something to do with Lorentz invariance, and you know you can you can look at it through boosts of um, the electric field and magnetic mm-hmm. field. So something to do with like Lorentz, the Lorentz invariance, and you know relativity stuff. And you can see uh, and symmetry, symmetry and whatnot, symmetry breaking. So you can actually see that um, because symmetry is broken, you had to have the quantum Hall effect. So the actual, the weird case is the classical version in some sense because it's it's like it's when the E field is really small compared to B or something. You have this right. nice idealized curve, but eventually, as your your B field grow grows, you get this weird symmetry breaking where it's like the inevitable result is the quantum Hall effect gotcha. and these weird Landau levels um, at these integer values. Mm-hmm. So that's as most I'll say about that. So. Um, the other interesting fact about the quantum Hall effect is the precision in which they're able to measure this. So the plateaus at these integer values are so straight that they actually are measured within like one part in a billion or something of precision. So they actually use the resistivity measurement of this. They, I think they call it the Klitzing resistivity. They use this at NIST to actually measure things like the um, fine structure constant and... Um, what else? And um, oh, I forget. I guess just re- it's a, it's a it's a it's a very precise resistivity value. So it's got extreme precision. So they use that as actually a, a metric for some of the standards at NIST, mm-hmm. um, which is pretty crazy. I mean, and that's with a dirty, really ugly sample, which is why mm-hmm. they use it because it's like your sample doesn't have to be so ultra pure or you know put into this really crazy configuration of, of perfect or, or as perfect as possible yet you still get these really precise values from this yeah so and it's a and it's you know the um resistivity is is it's a quanti it's a quantization of or i'm sorry it has quantized values proportional to e squared over h mm-hmm. so you get the Planck's constant and the um electron uh charge with that so you actually get really precise really values nice for values, those as yeah. well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you can find other things like, um, uh, what is it? And then, then, yeah, and then the, um, alpha, and then the uh, I'm sorry, the uh, fine structure constant has the C, the speed of light, and um, what else? Something else maybe involved. Uh, yeah, so that tells you you get really, really, maybe. you get really exotic physics because now you start having, like, relativistic effects because the particles are moving Hmm? Like, I'm saying, like you start, you start adding stuff like the speed of like c, the speed of light. Okay, right. That's well, no, saying. no, no. They were just using c as a constant because you know there are these constants of nature that are like you know basically these universal constants that we would like to write ideally all me- all units of measurement in. So there's h bar, there's c, there's um, the universal mm-hmm. gravitational constant, there's Bohr's. <coughs> There's Bohr. I mean, uh, yeah. There's the Bohr magneton. I think that might be one as well. well what is what is C in this context? I guess the speed of light. Yeah. But you don't have to move it at the speed of light. It's just that right. they multiply it by C, the speed of light, to get these certain values to high precision. Well, I've heard, I've heard that in the material, the particle moves really f- like they the the particles move pretty fast. Yeah, but I think they don't move at the speed of C. Pretty sure. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't know. 
Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> because maybe, maybe the thing not. is, they, they have like... Maybe this, it is a unit thing, but... Yeah, and but. the thing is, because you're using the Druda model, right? So they have like a mean free path is what you usually look at, the velocity of that. And the mean free path is usually not that fast. It's not nearly as fast as you would think. Yeah, but I think when you're approaching... When the strength of your magnetic field keeps increasing, I think you're getting... I think you're getting... Some near-luminal speeds? I don't think so, very interesting physics going on. Yeah, but I think velocity, speed of light is not really that relevant. No relativistic okay. effects. Because, I mean, we don't even need a, relativist, a relativistic equation, right? We just use standard quantum mechanics, uh, Schrodinger equation for quantum Hall effect. So... I haven't verified this, so I can't say <laughs> yeah, yeah. My wager is probably not... It doesn't have much to do with speed gotcha. of light or anything. Okay. With the whole um, disorder and symmetry breaking part, that has to do with the uh, Lorentz transformations, mm -hmm. and I think that just has to do with changing reference frames and showing you the invariance of the um, system rather than anything to do with like special relativity or mm -hmm. general relativity. So that's all that has to do with relativity. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, uh, and I guess another reason why they're quantized is because. Um, you get these Landau levels, basically, when you have this quantum system, you get these Landau levels. So if you imagine a, uh, a particle in a um, magnetic field, right, these Landau levels actually basically are, are um, what happens when the particle goes through a magnetic field. So unintuitively, um, when you have a velocity of a particle, right, in a field, so let's say a, a particle is moving at some velocity and there's a field completely perpendicular to that. Mm -hmm. If you're not familiar... Oddly enough, um, a force arises perpendicular to both the velocity and the magnetic field. A magnetic force arises. So what that does is it basically spins your particle in a circle. So yeah, you get cyclical motion. Yeah, Yeah, you get this cyclical motion. They actually call this a cyclotron motion or a cyclotron mm -hmm. frequency, I believe. So that's related to the Landau levels, actually. Yeah, and you could actually get that frequency out from the energy or, or from the Hamiltonian that you use in the quantum Hall effect. Um, it, it, the Hamiltonian used for the quantum Hall effect, you can get those Landau levels, and that's how you can actually map as well um, those Landau levels, or those, or you can see that cyclotron frequency or whatever, um, and you can see those frequencies are quantized. There are these integer multiples. Um, yeah. Um, and and now now yeah now you're piecing some things together for me because I think yeah. that's what that's the information they use to then extract, like you're saying, the Fermi levels, but also help build the Fermi surface of your. Ah, uh, because material. of the dispersion relation. Sure. Right. I think you're yeah. probably right. Actually, yes. Okay. <laughs> I said sure because I was unsure, but yeah. yes, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. I didn't see the Fermi level stuff because I didn't want to put my mind down Fermi <laughs> levels. <laughs> you know, it's already hard enough trying to yeah. get the information that we have now. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So, Interesting. Yeah, but then, yeah, so the fractional quantum stuff. Right. So you're ready to move to fractional, huh? Yeah, okay. I think so. Okay. Um. Yeah, I found some really interesting things that maybe the quantum Hall effect also covers, but um, uh, I, I'm mainly taking notes from the Nobel Prize lecture from Storm, Storm? Sturmer. Sturmer. I think it's German. <clears throat> yeah, Sturmer. I don't know how to pronounce his name here, but um, he's saying many electron systems can give rise to essentially, he says new particles, but I think he means quasi-particles. Yeah. That have similar, they have smaller charges than any individual electrons, so fractional charges, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> so in, in some sense, the sum in this case, the sum can be smaller than the whole. 
This is where it gets really, really fucked up and complicated. Yeah, this is really So the strange. fractional quantum Hall effect is not going to be super elucidating. All this is the main the part of the video, but it's uh, it's complicated. Um, it's 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 more it's complicated than all of them. Yeah, it is counterintuitive because and it's kind of unsolved still. Like one of the mille- well, I don't know if it's a millennial prize. One of the big unsolved problems of physics is why does why does the quantum Hall effect have why is there a five halves level and a seven halves level for the quantum Hall effect or for mm-hmm. the fractional quantum Hall effect? Because with the no, with the fractional quantum Hall effect, I guess I should just give a preface real quick of sure, what yeah, it is. Yeah. So the fractional quantum Hall effect is very is somewhat similar to the quantum Hall effect in in the fact that it has these filling factor levels. You could say again, except instead of integer values, there are these fractional values. So. The filling factor can be re- keep be written as a fractional equation, or a rational equation of p over q, basically, where q is always an odd number, essentially, but not always. <laughs> yeah. Mostly an odd Mostly number. Mostly an odd number. Yeah. Um, and then you know, and then the numerator is some other factor, some other integer number that's not a factor of the denominator. So you can have levels like one third. You can have two thirds. You know, five thirds. Um, so on and so forth. But then you get these weird anomalous ones. Five halves and seven halves are the only two non-odd value denominator values of the fractional quantum Hall effect. And, mm. and this is like one of these open problems of why does that actually happen? But essentially the fractional quantum Hall effect, the um, resistivity versus magnetic field chart, it looks pretty different from the um, quantum Hall effect. It's more complicated looking. Mm-hmm. Um but it is similar in the sense that it does have those plateaus, except they're just at those fractional levels. Mm-hmm. So, so and, and, and I should also specify that the resistivity, usually in the charts you'll see two resistivities. You'll see the longitudinal resistivity, and then you'll see the, um, the uh, transverse resistivity. So the transverse resist- resistivity has to do with the actual hall, oh, yeah. the hall voltage, that that part of your plane. So if you, we imagine back to our, our image of our rectangle, it's got you know two axes, a y-axis and an x-axis. The x-axis we'll call as a longitudinal, and then the y-axis we'll call as the transverse or the hull. Yeah. So it gets it, you get actually a resistivity along that hull side as well as a resistivity along the longitudinal side. Mm-hmm. So the longitudinal side has these weird jumps. So it increases in resistivity like with these giant jumps that are at those fractional values. The same thing happens on the quantum, the, the, the um, integer quantum Hall values as well, where the um, longitudinal um, resistivity will jump at those integer values. And then uh, the, um, the Hall resistivity will be that plateau staircase-like graph that you'll see where you have those quantized Landau levels, let's say. Mm-hmm. And so the, anyway, I guess yeah. Well, continuing and, and on, for one. those people that um, like you, you can write the so, so there's like a conductivity matrix, right? Right. That, right. Like you have these. Well, let's explain conductivity first. So sure. conductivity is inversely proportional, or it's basically the inverse of resistivity. Yeah. So resistivity and conductivity are like interchangeable. Yes. Because one is just one over the other one. Yeah. So you can have different matrix. And the thing is. Also, and you should and you should specify that the conductivity and the resistivity, they can both be interchanged, but they're also tensors yeah, in yeah. this two-dimensional version mm-hmm. 
of this system. Whereas normally you would think of resistance or conductance as just a single number, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In any kind of normal system. The reason they become a tensor is because of this weird um, anisotropic nature of the magnetic field creating this Hall voltage. Yeah. So now you have two different resistivities along one side of the, or in the transverse direction versus the longitudinal direction yeah. of the material. So, and so they have. I mean, they have they have reserved names like uh, like you're saying the, the one in the if you look at this as a plane, the X Y mm-hmm. plane, the transverse one or the the one that's like length uh, across from the material is reserved for like the hall, right? And it's like staying in the framework of conductivity it's uh it's like xy it's whatever yeah they call it xy they call it with subscripts xy because of the tensor exactly because the tensor you can think of you can think of it as basically a two by two matrix Mm -hmm. if you want to think the math and then they have the um the diagonals have they call it xx yeah Um, or magneto resistivity is 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 the name that's reserved for that what is the um, diagonal the XX, elements? Yeah, yeah. Okay. The longitudinal one. And then the um, off-diagonal ones, they have denoted with the subscripts XY because they have this anti-symmetric relationship where mm-hmm. the one that's technically YX, it actually is just the negative of the XY, exactly, um, yeah. the XY uh, value. So mm-hmm. they just denote the transverse component as XY and then the longitudinal is XX. So if you see any papers that have that, you'll understand what it means. Then it's just, um, it's just the uh, indices for the tensor. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. And this is going to be your bread and butter stuff that you're going to be using. Mm-hmm. If you're a condensed matter physicist, this is the stuff that you're going to be seeing a lot of. Right. And uh, what was I going to say with that? I forgot. I kind of brought it up. <laughs> Sorry. Um, You said tensor. the conductivity. You're talking about the conductivity um, tensor. Yeah. But I, I don't remember why. Because I was trying to answer or trying to create more uh, resolution to what you were saying. Oh. Um, I forgot. (laughs) Well, the interesting thing about this, just to further comment, I guess, is that this really just shows you that you can tune resistivity in some sense with magnetic fields. Go ahead. Right. Uh, Okay. I remember now. It's because you were talking about how the magnetic, the magnetoresistivity responds purely. You you see it come with uh, mostly respond to the, the magnetic field, right? Which one? The the, the hall or the no 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 the the XX. oh do you yeah well, okay <laughs> wait you were saying that I was trying to highlight it because the name is magnetoresistivity well both of them respond to the magnetic field they, well they do the hall one but I'm saying the one that you see like you were saying mm-hmm. the most uh, the most how do I say this the one you see it respond more dramatically yeah is the sigma xx or right 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 it has those jumps at those integer or the fractional values in terms of fractional yeah like you were saying yeah yeah Yeah. they have these dramatic jumps they go immediately to some giant value and then they drop down to zero after Mm -hmm. a little bit Mm -hmm. whereas the longitude or or as the transverse or a hall resistivity or conductivity or whatever just stays plateaued until it hits the next value yeah Mm -hmm. interesting stuff yeah, so these, so you might be thinking, like, what's the use of this even? And the th- interesting thing is, it's not really so much of a real, uh, uh, you know, applicable use to everyday life right now. But this um, fractional quantum Hall effect and quantum Hall effect even has really interesting properties, which is understanding phase transitions. 
Like we don't really know that much about phase transitions and any kind of more information you can glean from that can tell you a lot about just how materials work at their fundamental, you know, there's just the fundamental properties of these unit of these materials. Like you can pretty much see like uh, quantum Hall effect has a lot to do with like superconductivity and superfluidity. Um, and that's because you have these, um, these, uh, what do you call it? Um, oh, well, I don't want to say that actually. I don't want to mess up. Um, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but it does have, it has to do with superconductivity and superfluidity. Um, and phase transitions will just give you more enlightenment when it comes to understanding how materials work, you know, under magnetic fields, low temperatures. And I should have mentioned also that these effects are seen with low temperatures, right? Um, yeah, yeah, really low temperatures. We're yeah. talking like, you know, 100 millikelvin or 0.1 kelvin. Right. And uh, and actually, just to add to sure. when I was mentioning about this order of the quantum Hall effect, the fractional quantum Hall effect is actually seen more as like an exotic state. The, you know, I was saying like the quantum Hall effect was kind of inevitable just with symmetry breaking. Mm -hmm. The fractional quantum Hall effect is kind of unusual in the fact that it's more of a clever design, kind of an unusual state, because your material actually has to be very, um, very translationally uh, uh, invariant. And what does that mean? Where it has to be very organized. So the material actually has to be more perfect in the fractional quantum Hall effect. Whereas you need disorder for the quantum Hall effect. So I guess the fractional quantum Hall effect is like a perfect material at high magnetic fields. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of more unusual. It's a stranger state. It's more of an exotic state. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I mean, this is an open area right now where people are still trying to figure out exactly how it works and why it works. Yeah. And I mean, well, I want to kind of want to go back to something you said about how you can have a really dirty compound and still kind of measure these oscillations. But mm -hmm. I remember in my group, the people really, so we have this thing called a triple R. Okay. If you remember this, but never heard of it. It's a uh, residual resistivity. Damn. I'm trying to remember. It, I actually it, didn't do much with quantum ball effect when I was doing research. Uh, yeah, I mean, no, because, uh, well, we, we just had access to, like, high fields. Um, so yeah. my group in particular measured uh, measured uh, these these uh, this particular type of – damn, I can't even speak. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, you, you were measuring phenomenon. this particular type of um, system, oh, I shit. guess, yeah, we in these phase transitions. This, yeah, but we would, they, the people in my group would often – Calculate this triple R. It's called the residual resistivity ratio. Okay. Um, and it, the higher, so basically, it it's supposed to signal to you how good of a quality crystal it is because it shows you. Um, it's a ratio to determine the a rule of thumb to see if your material has low defects. Mm. Um. And I'm going to read this Wikipedia here. The triple R is, can vary quite strongly for a single material depending on the amount of impurities and other crystallographic defects. It serves as a rough index of purity and overall quality of sample. Uh, since resistivity usually increases, its defect prevalence increases. A large triple R is associated with a pure sample. Uh, triple R is also important for characterizing surf, uh, certain unusual low temperature states. Uh, so, yeah. So, 
it, they often use this rule of thumb to really measure like a, a pure crystallographic sample. You want to have mm. a good triple R ratio. At least the, the members in my group, they tried having samples that had a good triple mm. R before putting them into high fields. I think because of those things, you want to minimize the lattice deep um, impurities. Just, yeah, because you'll get anomalies and things when you measure things. You scattering you don't want and that. all this stuff. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, But the thing is, um, were you sure that they were trying to measure quantum Hall effect and not fractional quantum Hall effect? Um, yeah, I can't remember that far back. Because the thing is, the fractional quantum Hall, Hall effect does want very high pure samples. The quantum mm-hmm. Hall effect is better. with you need, it, you need to have disorder in your system. Right. So it really depends on what they were trying to do. Yeah, I'm not sure. Because, I mean, at at certain points, I know scattering, um, you do want to have some impurities to help. In certain systems, it seems it's counterintuitive. Mm. Like scattering improves uh, your your signals. And this Mm -hmm. might be one of those cases. But uh, I'm just functioning off of memories yeah. of, of years ago where I'm just like, <laughs> right. I don't remember really well. But I didn't really understand it probably back then yeah. that well. But I did want to highlight that because um, that's also a useful measurement that a lot of people don't really know when they're first starting mm-hmm. out. It's like, oh, this is a, this is a good grab What's it stand for again? Uh, residual resistivity ratio. Okay. It's to measure. It's, it's a rule of thumb how to measure uh, the purity of a crystal just by literally just doing a resistivity versus temperature. So you just go to room temperature all the way down to like the lowest temperature possible, mm. and then you, yeah, then you just average it out, and then bam, wham, bam. Thank you, ma'am. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and you have it. That's it. There you um, go. But uh, but yeah, fractional quantum hall. So I I have a couple notes from the lecture too that I still yeah. wanted to kind of highlight. Some interesting. I feel like I've been talking a lot. <laughs> <laughs> no, some interesting properties that I think were highlighted in the talk were. Um, it's a composite system of electrons that can ignore large magnetic fields and move in straight lines, as opposed to the single charge electron moving in a cyclical motion due to the Lorentz force in the fractional version. Mm. It's like, no, in the qu- oh, yeah, in the quantum hole, they move in straight lines, what you're saying. That's what this is saying. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, according to the lecture, in the fractional one, the composite system of electrons can ignore the large magnetic fields and move in straight lines. Oh, interesting. And uh, he's also highlighted that their mass depends on the number of electron-electron interactions and not necessarily just their individual ones. Right. That's a very key part as well. So if you remember from the quantum Hall effect, mm-hmm. we also use the Druda model with no interacting electrons. Yeah. The fractional quantum hall, you actually need to take into account particle-particle interactions. So that's a big change, right? Yeah. Because I think you need to add into the Hamiltonian for that one, the Coulomb. The, the yeah, Coulomb, Coulomb part of your Hamiltonian, right? Mm-hmm. So you need to actually look at those interacting uh, particles. Yes. And also, electrons can trap bits of the magnetic field and behave as new particles that can change the particles from fermions to bosons and back to fermions, depending on the applied field strength. That was probably the most like what the hell? How yeah, it sounds weird. I don't know what that even. How means. do you? How does your? How does your um, particle decide to? How does it go from a fermion, which is you know, you can only take uh, fractions, uh, fractional states versus a bosons, which are integer states, right? Mm, well, what does that mean? Like state, like uh, like energy states. Like bosons are are integer states, right? You can take only integer energy uh, states. Depends what you mean. What do you mean? 
What's, what's a state? Because uh, you can have because a, a well, boson energy. has fraction has a fractional spin. Right. Bosons have integer spin, but that's not what they're talking about. What are they talking about? I don't know. <laughs> you gotta well, be specific when you mean okay. state. I don't know what you mean. Well, the point is that here, you, the fact that your part your fermions and can change from fermions to bosons and back to fermions, depending on the field strength, that's kind of wild. Yeah, I don't know what that means. That's some yeah. voodoo shit. I know. I do know though. When I was researching, I forgot. I'm glad you even said this because mm-hmm. there's was another thing that popped out to me. I was like. This is another thing I wanted to study, and they said that actually fractional quantum Hall effect has a relation to anions. Mm-hmm. So anions are these weird-ass particles that are like not fermions or bosons. Um, they're quasi-particles, right? Yeah, they're these weird quasi-particles, and I didn't get a chance to research into it, but if you know, if you want to look into it, there is some relation between anions and fractional quantum Hall effect, and it's another one of these weird-ass particles that's kind of leading-edge stuff right now. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, so uh, that's that's just struck me when you just said the fermion boson fermion boson things. So I think that's got a relation somehow. Yeah. So if you understand the anion, you might understand what it actually means by that. Yeah, because uh, I mean, I'm, I was just reading a lecture and I was kind of like, wow, okay, this yeah. is fascinating stuff. But uh, in the talk, and you can look this up. It's literally fractional quantum hall, nineteen ninety eight Nobel Prize lecture. Mm. It, it's a good succinct. Um paper maybe it's like 12 pages that just kind of like highlights the history of the discovery and uh, and why it was particularly discovered in two dimensions like two-dimensional materials Mm -hmm. Um, and by two dimensions I think we probably covered the concept in previous episodes but it has it has to do with um, how we make field effect transistors nowadays and thin in what layers fractional of quantum material affect us? Yeah, yeah. How they oh, disco- really? Well, they discovered it in two D in two D materials. Yeah, but you're saying that it has some kind of relevance to how manufacturing is done with MOSFETs. Well, they they measured it using uh, this kind of architecture, like of of this. Kind oh, of I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. So they dis- they were able to um, measure the actual fractional quantum ha- effect using MOSFETs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, using the architecture from MOSFETs. But MOSFETs, I don't think they use the fractional quantum Hall effect. No, I think no, no. They no. just um, use them to, you know, do research on. Exactly. Yeah, because the way, the way you can find the system, is, so, <clears throat> I'm gonna try to make this as succinct as possible. But you can go ahead and read the paper. It's it's a really good paper, but uh, or lecture, um, so, like. You're going to see this word tossed around a lot, like 2D materials. What are 2D materials? Mm-hmm. I, I've often come to different definitions because some people use it in a strict literal sense, like two dimensions mm-hmm. of like, well, you have one atomic layer of a material and that is the lowest level of a material you're going to get, right? Mm-hmm. Like, a, for, mm-hmm. and What I mean by material is like a compound. Sure. And just one atomic layer, you know, one mm-hmm. lattice constant layer of, of the material. Mm-hmm. And you sandwich this with another layer and, you know, you just have the particle only has or the electron ha- can only move in two dimensions. Mm-hmm. There's another definition um, that's more has to do more with like the electronic states available to the system. Mm-hmm. So there can be interactions between materials that create quantum wells at like at the interface of two materials. So when you look at a field effect transistor. 
Uh, I have a YouTube video, but this is not really necessary to to really uh, understand this. But you can imagine when you sandwich two materials together, you can create like an insulator and a sort of quantum well type thing. Ba- okay. Basically, you can create a barrier for the, the particle to get trapped in. Okay. And let's say you build this quantum well at the interface, and that confines the electrons to essentially one dimension in in energetically Mm. so if you define the electron like in the z direction while leaving them free to move in the xy plane then you say your your electron is is confined in in the two-dimensional system because now it can only it can move freely in two dimensions Mm. but it's confined in the z plane right okay Um, and that's another interpretation of like what they mean by two dimensions yeah the key i think is just like the movement is constrained to a 2d plane only yeah exactly however for the electronic states yeah yeah it's just they're confined in 2d and yeah and and like and and so they discovered the fractional quantum hall effect using two-dimensional materials gallium arsenide i believe Um, yeah and aluminum aluminum gallium arsenide yeah. yeah exactly yeah and using uh this thing called molecular beam epitaxy mm, yeah, i didn't MB, read that mbe it's really damn mbe is like I, I, this made me realize how good mbe is mm-hmm. Have you, are you familiar with it barely like i've uh, i actually was gonna work in an mbe lab for my fir- very first lab but mm-hmm. the guy just never responded back to me <laughs> <He's> <laughs> i had an interview with him he's like nah <laughs> <laughs> so i don't really know exactly what yeah. they do but well, it's just a it's just an insane way to like have really insane precision with like atomic layers. Like you essentially evaporate right, right. layers of a material to the to the precision of one atomic layer. Right. Per, it's insane. It's really crazy like manufacturing these layers, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, they had to do this with this uh to to study the fractional quantum hall effect and they had to go mm-hmm. to like really high fields. And there are only few facilities in the world that can that can go beyond ten Tesla even because like standard mm. standard instrumentation only has like maybe eight Tesla, ten Tesla, and we're talking about quantum design stuff, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and yeah, I mean you have to go to like thirty Tesla sometimes, like huge right. fields, and they're only I think there's a couple, there's one high magnetic field lab in like Tokyo. Another There's also Geneva. the high magnetic field lab in Max Planck that I just discovered. I think they're one of the highest ones in Europe. Yeah. They get to like 39 Tesla. Yeah. And then there's the National High Magnetic Field Laboratory in Florida, yeah. which is 45 Tesla. Yeah, I think that's um, the highest one. Yeah. But, is that the um, biggest one? I think maybe that might be the... No, and then there's one in Los Alamos too. That's a pulsed But those field. are pulsed, yeah. so those don't count. So the ones that I just said were static field, mm-hmm. right? Like superconducting magnets. Right, like static field, meaning like you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Superconducting, yeah. I think. Yeah. yeah, you're right. Except there's hybrids too, which hybrids. you know, <laughs> those are the ones that really get up there. Yeah, yeah. Because I think actually the one in in Max Planck, the uh, whatever the something, I forget what it's called exactly, but that one is they're building a hybrid right now that's going to be 45 Tesla. Sheesh. So. Yeah. And you can see the fractional Hall effect with those fields, mm-hmm. for sure. Um. And then the, and yeah, they also have like insane cryostats too that go down to like one one hundredths of a Kelvin. Right. Like, it's like, what the hell? Yeah, so the experiments is get, are getting crazy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're getting pretty crazy. Yeah. But I mean, I mean, you, you kind of need to build the ideal scenario because like Terrence is saying, the Fermi level 
is really defined like in in theory defined like at zero kelvin or somewhere close to it so mm. um so you want to build as close to the model as you the theoretical model right, as right. you can but yeah yeah but quantum hall effect pretty cool huh yeah pretty <laughs> pretty cool say? stuff yeah oh pretty you know i didn't mention too the um the wave function it's like at these levels, people start guessing wave functions and shit. What do you mean? <laughs> like with the superconducting, um, the superconducting wave function, they had to guess it. Um, with the fractional quantum Hall effect, Laughlin actually guessed the wave function. It's like you do educated guesses. Like get these this high up, the theory it starts to become like too hard to try to like mm -hmm. somehow figure out the theory from a from the logical direction. Mm -hmm. So you have to actually guess certain things mm -hmm. and then build backwards. <laughs> And like the and Laughlin guessed the wave function for yeah. the fractional quantum Hall effect and kind of built backwards the Hamiltonian and all that stuff. Yeah, we can often do this. This is something that we learned technically in like the second year of quantum mechanics. It's called um, oof. I actually forgot the name, <laughs> but it's in <laughs> yeah, Griffiths. It's it's uh it, it's oh it is yeah it's I like I forget what it's called. Ah shit! I wish guess I and knew. check. <laughs> That's what I call it. <laughs> uh yeah, but I used to do a lot of this. There was a project that our professor gave us that was plug like, and chug. Yeah, plug and chug. No, it was just like literally you you you're given it's basically model fitting a wave function mm. and trying to find the correct wave function that's right. going to give you the the energy values that you see. This is more the line. This is how you start to know when you're on the leading edge of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When it's like the solutions are like, okay, so this value was a guessed solution or like, yeah, there's no proof for why, where that came from. It's just like, oh, yeah. this is a guessed value yeah. or educated guess. That's because there's the theory is not really connected yet to mm. what's existing. So you have to kind of guess, you know, by using the things that you already know and then seeing if you you can derive those backwards and things. Yeah. So it's interesting. And sometimes you can guess the wave function pretty accurately. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty insane. Yeah. And then we've got, you know, we've got techniques to like, um, that's actually one interesting thing I learned from this podcast was looking at the um, Hamiltonian for the quantum harmonic oscillator. I got it. Or f yeah, for the quantum, um, I'm sorry, for the, uh, the Hamiltonian for a charged particle in a magnetic field. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that weird P minus QA. Right. I always wonder where the hell does that come from? And actually, that's a guess and check solution in some sense, too. Oh, interesting. Because what they do is they actually get the, um, they start from the Lorentz force. So, you know, the Lorentz force equation is QV, B cross, or QV times E plus V cross B. Mm -hmm. um, then what they do is they say, okay, we need to guess a Lagrangian. So, you guess a Lagrangian, you take the, you take the Euler-Lagrange equations get back the equations of motion if they're if they're equal to the Lorentz force then you can actually do extract uh the conjugate momentum p by using the derivative of the Lagrangian I with see. respect to the uh q dot right gotcha so then they actually get that it's like this clever ass way to get the um the conjugate momentum yeah and then you can just stick that into the Hamiltonian by using p squared over 2m plus you know the potential and you get the full Hamiltonian. I'm like, damn, Brilliant. you sons of bitches. Brilliant, Jim. <laughs> damn it, damn it, Jim, you did it again. <laughs> I feel like this podcast was a little bit high level. What do you think? Yeah, but you know what? You've mother effers out there. No, <laughs> no some of you guys out there really, really love this kind of stuff, I guess. Because yeah. y'all comment, please go deeper. Yeah, Daddy. some people love <laughs> God damn it, what? <laughs>
<laughs> we couldn't keep the podcast the podcast clean, huh? <laughs> I'm sorry. So we're I'm getting sorry. that. Uh, what's it? We're getting that um, e explicit rating this time. Oh well. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding, folks. Okay, I just wanted to inject some evil here. It's all good. We get the e explicit uh, every time. Yeah, yeah, we do. <laughs> Anyways, uh, yeah, yeah. let us know what you think below. Um, did we kind of go over your heads a little bit? Yeah. Was it too too much, or um, what do you guys think of the balance? Yeah. And I guess also, um, did you have anything more interesting about Quantum Hall Effect or things you wanted to know, to know more about? What was enlightening? Just you know, leave your thoughts, guys. As always, should should we should we do an Inception style and go deeper? Like, should yeah. we should we keep going? <laughs> should we, should we, you know, in the fraction the fraction of Quantum Hall is really interesting. Honestly, yeah, you, I kind of wanted to read more. I was like, damn, I yeah. wish I had more time to actually, yeah, fully digest this because the fractional Quantum Hall Effect is when it starts to get really tough. Yeah. And you gotta watch like lecture upon lecture upon lecture yeah. and read more material to really understand it. Mm-hmm. The quantum hall effect was pretty hard, but the fractional quantum hall effect is next level. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's tough. This is an introduction to it, I guess. Yeah, for sure. Say. Well, let us know what you think. Uh, comment below. Mm-hmm. Like, comment, share, subscribe if you haven't already. Yes, indeed, guys. Check out igambros.com, igambros on Instagram, igambros on Twitter, igambros2 on TikTok. And then thank you guys, patrons. We, we love you, we appreciate you. You're smart. You're loyal. Yes, that is very true. <laughs> so, guys, you know, we, we greatly appreciate it. If you guys want to become a patron, patreon.com slash eigenbros. We need yes. those um, clapping emojis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anything helps, guys. Help us get to $2,000 a month so we can quit our jobs and just do this all the time. Oh, that'd be amazing. <laughs> yeah, I w- then we wouldn't have to worry about, yeah, we wouldn't. Then we, we wouldn't we have could. to worry about this bullshit-ass <laughs> corporate world. <laughs> yeah, that'd be awesome. But uh anyway folks thank you uh and we'll see you next week see you guys bye-bye